everybody, welcome to another episode of the Trap Draw Podcast. I am Randy. Before we get into today's episode, I want to thank one of our partners. That is Precision Pro Golf. No Laying Up is brought to you by Precision Pro Golf. As the weather turns warmer and a new golf season arrive, it brings all sorts of possibilities to reach a lower handicap, improve your driver, or simply just play more golf and have fun. No matter what your golf goals are this year, mine is to make 100 birdies, Precision Pro Golf can probably help. Their award-winning rangefinders give golfers a reliable number to the target, whether you're aiming at the flag or trying to avoid a hazard. Everyone here at No Laying Up uses the NX9 slope. It has all the features golfers love, advanced slope technology, pulse vibration, and an embedded magnet built into the rangefinder so you can securely attach it to the cart. It's also tournament legal, which means all you pros out there can use it at the PGA Championship this year. And Precision Pro Golf measures more than just distances. Their new one-of-a-kind golf app offers advanced insight into your golf game that will help measure your performance and let you know where you can improve. Search the App Store or the Android Marketplace for the Precision Pro Golf app. Right now, our listeners also receive $20 off the NX9 slope by using our coupon code no laying up, all one word, no laying up. Go to precisionprogolf.com, use coupon code no laying up at checkout for $20 off our favorite range finder, the NX9 slope. Swing with confidence, hit more greens with Precision Pro Golf. Can't thank them enough for sponsoring everything we do. Now on to today's episode. Thank you very much, Mr. Jeezy. Got you in early this week. I am Randy, joined as always back in the studio by my guy TC. TC, good morning. How are you? Great, Randy. How many birdies have you made so far this year? Just four. I haven't made a birdie in over a month. <laughs> it's not good. Are you playing the Thursday game this week? I am. All right, cool. I am. Yeah, I, uh, I've gone five or six rounds without making a birdie. Gosh. Well, we need to get you back, back to good, man. I know. How's everything going with you? Oh, good, good. Um, you know, tough, tough run of it here the last few days for my jazz. Lost I know. Two, lost two of three. Hate that. Yeah. Lost a uh, tough one at Miami. Who else did? Oh, they lost Pelicans. to the, the, the Pellies. Not good. The Pellies yeah. were spry. I think they came back in that one too, didn't they? Yeah. Huge game tonight. Monster game at Philly. Yep. Uh, perhaps a preview of, a, of an NBA Finals, Philly, maybe. And then, and then off for eight or nine days. The All Star break. How many All Stars did they get? Did Conley end up making the All Star team? That's a good question. I know. I know they had at least two. But um, I, you know what? I, I don't really want to talk about the Jazz right now. They, they've got a massive. <laughs> they come out of the All Star break with a game at home against the Rockets, and then they go at Golden State, at Boston, at Washington, at Toronto, at Chicago. That's a big ass road trip. Toronto's frisky too right now. Uh, I wanted to talk though about your. Your Kings. They lost to the the Hornets the other night. They sure did. Uh, PJ Washington put up forty two on them. Who who knew PJ Washington was good for for a forty burger? 
Uh, it was luckily I didn't see any of it. Uh, that was the only saving grace. Just a complete, complete shit show at the end. I guess. Uh, I think the Kings were up eight, shooting free throws and retaining possession with a little over a minute to go, and lost the game in regulation. Which is uh, it's it's just a special kind of suck. You know, when teams get really bad, they find new and creative ways to lose. To lose games. I mean, I'm looking at this box score. Yeah. I'm like, how, like, Bagley had 24 on 11 or 20 shooting. Harrison Barnes had 28 on 10 of 14 shooting. Uh, De'Aaron Fox, 9 of 22 for 20 points, 14 assists for De'Aaron, though. And then Buddy Hield, your boy, 10 of 17 from the field, 8 of 15 from three point range, 30 points. They, they beat the hell out of the Hornets as far as turnovers go. They shot better from three-point. They shot better from the field. I know. Check out. Read both teams' free throws, though. That's where it is. 10 of 17. Jesus. 26 of 27 from the line for the Hornets? The Hornets were 26 of 27, and I think the Kings were, what did you say they were? They were 10 of 17. 10 of 17, including they missed five straight in that last minute. I hate that. Your boy, your boy, one of four. From the field. The other I big know. takeaway for me is like their bench just absolutely blows. The blows. They were missing Dick Cheney. Halliburton was out, which of course hurts them. But yeah, they they're like, you know, they're seven deep on a good night without Halliburton. They just have they have no depth. People are starting to call for the, the calls for Luke Walton's head are starting to get a little louder. My Hawks fired their coach. I know. I guess they did him kind of dirty from what I was reading. Really. That's what people. I mean, he was there like four or five years. I right? know people were just kind of pissed about the timing, and uh, you know they've had tons of injuries, but I think more so like he seemed like a really good guy. Uh, but listen, for sure, tough, tough profession. I can report Mike Conley did not make the All Star game this year. He never made an All Star game. One of the more amazing uh, stats in all of sports. But your but your guys Donovan Mitchell and uh, Rudy Gobert will be representing the Jazz. Um, what else is going on, Big? Gosh, you've been on the road for a couple weeks. Yeah, spent a week in Orlando. DJ and I were down at the LPGA GameBridge last week. We had a great time. We got a fun video project. It's going to take uh, Mr. Pie. You know, we we don't lock him up in his room and make him edit. So it's going to take a few weeks to to get that project turned around. But very excited for that. I think I hope that people will enjoy it. it was just fun being out at a at a golf tournament again. Spent four days at. Walking around Lake Nona. Lake Nona was kind of cool. I'm 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 in on Lake Nona, the golf course, not yeah. the club. The club had very work hard, play hard vibes. How uh, about the wedding? Yeah, the wedding Saturday. So the word was, what 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 the scuttlebutt was around the around the course was, uh, Lake Nona. Obviously, this wedding had been planned well before they got the for LPGA de- event. Probably, uh, probably two great Orlando families coming together. The club had offered them to. Move the entire thing to Isleworth. It's wild. Refunding all their money, essentially making it free of charge. We'll we'll move it all to Isleworth, and they said no. Got to do it at Lake Nona. Uh, complete power play, I guess. Love that. So, but the golf course was cool. Have you ever played? I haven't. I've played Isleworth and uh, never played Lake Nona. Yeah, and I don't really remember. I know they've had Tavistock Cups there, and it's you're you're a big Tavistock group, <laughs> group guy, right? <laughs> yeah, of course. And, you know, I probably have seen a couple holes on TV over the years, but um, no, the course was in great shape, and it was uh, it was a good test for, for the ladies. Nellie Corda, big win. Um, 
And now they're going up and playing the replica, the replica holes this week. What a dumb course. <laughs> God, up in Ocala. Ocala, we, we, we could probably do a, a trap draw just on Ocala. Ocala is one of the strangest places I've ever been. Yeah. A ton of horse money. Um, just, a, just a very interesting place. Um, last week you dipped, or I guess it was last week, you dipped your toe into uh, you know, talking about credit cards a little bit. And, yeah. And while you had some people on Twitter just lighting you up with with all sorts of best practices as far as stacking cards and points and perks and all that stuff there's no better block it it really brings me a lot of delight the the people who are like so deep and granular in the credit card game uh they were they were getting after me on twitter oh my one guy um uh zach would Woj to wix yeah yeah god he gave me all kinds of great information our friend job said um, you can game the Delta Amex a little bit, like you know, express interest, but but don't commit, and they'll just keep upping the uh, the initial mile offer. Um, yeah, Job said he got like seventy k bonus. Uh, this guy Zach, he, he he said you want the Chase trifecta, <laughs> which I, I don't even know what that means. You know, a lot, lot of, lot of stuff going on there. We may have to do a, a pod just on you know travel perks and credit cards and all that. Yeah. Uh, something else. Yeah, I know. Maya culpa. We call. I call it the Centurion card. We have. We have the Amex Platinum. Platinum baby card on our uh, for uh, business. They weigh like two pounds each. (laughs) I feel like such a dickhead when I bring it out. (laughs) Big thick cards. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to bring up. You know the uh, the bridge in Cincinnati starting to get a little bit more notoriety here. The Brent Spence Bridge. Yes. Yes. It's a huge choke. It was. It was. It was named the number two most congested congested bottleneck in the country and in fact when i was home over christmas uh the bridge had caught on fire there, there was a really car, yeah there was a car accident and i guess the residual from the car accident caught the bridge on fire was shut down for a few weeks just a total nightmare situation like what do you do on it's like the main thoroughfare for the entire eastern seaboard of like as far as trucks go from michigan to florida exactly it's the confluence of I-75, which is the big one, uh, north to south, and then I-71, which essentially runs from uh, Cleveland to Cincinnati and then down to Louisville. I don't know how far. It might end in Louisville. And then you can sprinkle in some I-74 there, which is coming across. To Indianapolis. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, they had to to route them off of 71-75 onto – there's a little loop. You probably know it from when you lived there. Remember 471? I do. Yeah. So they had to route everybody on on to That's a great bridge. 275. That's the circular one. Yeah, right? to get on 471, back 275 to get on 7175. Total nightmare. That bridge is really scary. Like it's a, it's a double decker. years ago, I felt like I was going to die going over that bridge. Yeah. I can't I haven't been over it in probably 5 years. I can't imagine how bad it is now. So one way, you know, it's it's the the traffic from north-south, they're stacked on top of each other. I forget which is on – I think if you're going north, you're on the bottom. Yeah. If you're going south, you're on top. Um, yeah, you know, it'd it's be great. It's got to be one of the most dangerous bridges in America. There were there were rumors of maybe a public-private partnership trying to fix it up and making it like a toll. Like, that's Kentucky a won't go for the toll thing, though. Exactly, which I'm happy about. I, I think, you know, let's, let's find some Kentucky – Ohio state money, maybe the federal government. Uh, we know we need a big infrastructure week. Is what we need. I'm not a big tax guy, but I will say, like we or, need, or the gas. Tax. We need to up the gas tax. Yeah, exactly. That's the other thing. Which 
you know, you, you can't talk about raising a tax without just automatically pissing off a lot of people, even though, you know, we haven't raised the gas tax in years and years and years. 30 years, yeah. And our infrastructure sucks. <laughs> our, our infrastructure Blows. sucks. Yeah. Um, gosh, what else? Any Anything else as far as, uh, you know, um, I know the Saudis released, or the uh, U.S. government released the, the Saudi stuff. No, no, you know, it's kind of a nothing burger. I mean, no surprise. I think MBS for sure, like, ordered the killing. Uh, it sounds like Biden's going to crown him. I thought it was totally interesting that they that you know he 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 used one of the planes or one of the Gulf streams that he uh, that he took from the um, you know some of his cousins or the other princes that he locked in the in the uh, in the Ritz. <laughs> yeah. He took some of those planes that were that were you know came from those companies and used them to fly these guys to Turkey. Yeah. So. Um. I don't know. What I mean, do you want them to? I shouldn't they be sanctioned a little bit? Like, what? It's such a weird, weird relationship. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like you know, it, I, it just makes me a little bit cynical. Where it's like, oh yeah, we know exactly what happened, but are we going to do we, anything? We can't do anything about <laughs> yeah, it. Nah, we're good. Um, just like don't like, come on, man, don't do it again, or don't be so obvious next time. <laughs> is what it feels like. So, uh, people. One more thing, yeah. people. I'm sure they've been blowing you up. People want are just they're saying HEB is doing so many amazing things down in Texas. HEB kind of reminds me of JJ Watt at this point. It's a great take. They're fluffing a little bit, you know. They're preening. They're peacocking. Just always happens to be a camera around. Just somebody to write up the story. Maybe a news, you know, a video camera. Um, I don't know. Sounds like they did help some people out during the ice storm down in Texas, which is great. Sounds like they lost their power though during the ice storm and then let everybody go out. Like, how else are they going to charge the people? Are they going to make the right. people go put everything back on shelves? <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's, ex- yeah, yeah. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. So, I, you know, listen, we understand HUBD does some good stuff, but let's, let's just cool out with, I, I don't think they're, they're not saving the world here. It doesn't seem like it. It doesn't seem like it. I did want to say interesting news. Uh, the Oracle of Omaha bought a huge stake in Kroger recently. A 2.3% interest in Kroger. $550 million. Are you a big Buffett guy, Randy? I like Buffett. I think he's, I, th- I think he's, you know, I, I really enjoy reading his annual shareholder letters. Uh, he and Munger. I, I think they're, it, it's a great philosophy that I try to have uh, in dealing with my own personal finances. Essentially just try to find value you know, don't invest and forget his his quote of of um, act like behave like you're scared when everybody else is yeah is aggressive and buying, and then be fearless when everybody else is scared. I yeah, think his rings very true. It's it's a great saying. But, uh, when when there's greed in the market, yeah. be fearful. When there's fear in the market, be greedy. Um, I'm just worried, honestly, what I'm most worried about is he's going to kind of cut the line in terms of, I, I feel like I've been doing some good activism with my position. Uh, of course, I am. I remain long in Kroger. Uh, I'm worried Buffett's going to cut the line a little bit and, and maybe have a bigger voice, but we shall see. Um, honestly, that's about all I had. You have any mea culpas? No, the, the Centurion card was the big one. Okay. I, the folks loved the Huntsman. Oh, he was fantastic. He was, what a, I mean, just... 
I think my favorite tweet was, uh, you know, I'm not really sure what I just listened to, but I loved it. <laughs> Something to that effect. That's, that's, and that's what exactly what aspires to. Exactly. And that's exactly how I felt listening to the interview. So well well done there. That was, Thank you. That was a fantastic, fantastic listen. We'll have to for sure get him back It'll on He'll be recurring for sure. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, I think travel, you know, travel baseball coach is a is a strong, aggressive block to be on. <laughs> yeah. Too. You know, I bet he's gotten kicked out of some games, right? I hope so. Yeah, we'll, have, was... we'll have to talk to him about that next okay. time. All right. Um, so we got Orlando this week. Orlando. Yep. Finally on to Orlando. Mr. Palmer's Invitational. Yeah. Uh, big week. We got Mr. Palmer. We got Dr. Phillips. Yeah. Uh, big, big neighborhood down there near Bay Hill. Dr. Phillips was a big citrus magnate. I bet you didn't know that. I did not know that. Um, all right. Orlando Sister Cities. Mm-hmm. A bunch of shitty cities, but two that stuck out. Okay, hit me. Monterey, Mexico, and Valladolid, Spain. Don't know where. Where is that in Spain? Do you know what region? I don't. I've never heard of it. Monterey? I, I really want to go to, maybe not Monterey. I really want to go to Mexico City, though. Uh, yeah, I listen, for sure. <laughs> I do, too. I was bummed. I'm, I'm still crushed about the group of Salinas. Of course, of course. All right, what else you got for me? Um, so the the etymology of Orlando is is a little bit mysterious. They don't know why or how it was named Orlando. Okay. Um, this dude Aaron Jernigan. Uh, there was like Orlando's grave, I guess. There, this soldier allegedly. Um, you know, I'm not sure if this is a folk tale or what, but he was buried near there, and it was there's all sorts of you know. Spanish American War stuff and Civil War stuff, all sorts. So this Aaron Jernigan guy, bad guy, the Confederacy even denounced him, and he was one of their own. Um, he was kind of the founder, um, you know. And I don't have to tell you about the Great Freeze of uh, eighteen ninety four, eighteen ninety five. No, 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 no. But if for anybody listening that doesn't know about it, so uh, the Great Freeze of eighteen ninety four, ninety five led to a massive consolidation of all the citrus growing. Okay. And so the citrus farmers kind of consolidated and, um, you know, a lot of them moved elsewhere, moved up north, moved out west, moved, to, you know, the coasts or whatever. Um, and then all the citrus barrens kind of became, uh, you know, consolidated down in that Lake Wales, South Orlando area. Okay. Uh, obviously, Disney World, 1971. Um, chose Orlando because not susceptible to hurricanes. That was Walt, uh, your your friend Walt. Mr. Disney. Mr. Disney, his, yeah. his thing. Uh, massive sinkholes in Orlando. Love that. One of the biggest like naturally occurring sinkholes ever was in Winter Park in like 1981. Huh. Swallowed up this lady's house, swallowed up like five Porsches in this. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. Winter uh, Park sweet. Yeah, it is. It is. If anybody's ever in the Orlando area, get to Winter Park. It's it's a cool little town and great golf course. Uh, largest po- population of Puerto Ricans in Florida and fastest growing in the country. Hmm. And um, yeah, so I think that's, I got a bunch more in store, but I want to, so who did we effort this week? Well, I, I had a few strong efforts. Um, I I started with Wesley Snipes, reached out to his agents. Um, is he in jail or not? I, yeah, I couldn't tell. I think they were, they were, they said he was a little busy trying to file his tax returns this time of year, so politely declined my request. Um, Lance Bass. I reached Lance out to Bass. Lance Bass. I saw all of NSYNC, it seems like, is from here. And the Backstreet Boys. They're both from Orlando. Wow. What yeah. are the chances of that? Lance Bass, I think, is in space right now, so couldn't 
Couldn't reach him. What a world. Um, who else? Oh, Wayne Brady. I, I saw he was from Orlando. I think he would have been fun. Uh, Billy Bean. Yeah. The uh, baseball executive. That's right. Um, Glock 9. Glock, the, the, the rapper. Uh, it's spelled with a 9. <laughs> the, the, the first letter is 9 instead of a G, which looks like a 9. But Glock 9, it, it appears uh, he is... Is he doing time? Yeah, he, he was arrested in 2015 when he was 15 for doing mm. uh, for uh, connection to a shooting. 2018, he was uh, weapons and drug possession. 2019, weapons and drug possession. 2020, concealed firearm. 2020, again, uh, attempted second-degree murder. 2020, in Orlando, um, outstanding warrant. He had a short-barreled rifle. And then 2021, he was charged with multiple counts of attempted second degree murder. Ah, so hate that. I know. Couldn't couldn't get in touch with him. Uh, Zach Granke. Yeah, uh, he's an interesting cat. Yeah. It would have been a good interview. Daryl Dawkins, aka Chocolate Thunder. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jack Kerouac lived. I did see that. Lived in Orlando for a bit. I saw Haha Clinton Dix. Lol. <laughs> it's from it's from Orlando. Daniel Tosh. Yeah. Mandy Moore grew up there. Okay, all right. You think of Manny Moore more as a singer or as an actress? Actress, for sure. Yeah, me too. Um, gosh, who else we got? We got uh, Scott Stapp from Orlando. Before he went over to Florida State, went yeah. to school over there. Yeah, uh, fa- fascinating Wikipedia profile on him. Uh, AJ Perzinski, Warren Sapp, Chris Johnson, Blake Bortles, uh, Amari Stoudemire. Just kind of a who's who. David Eckstein's from up the, just up the road. These are all blanket no's. Blanket no's. They all, they all just, God. yeah. Jim Courier, the tennis player. Jeff Blake, former Bengals quarterback. Threw a great deep ball to Carl Pickens. Davey Johnson, the, uh, the baseball manager. Of course. Uh, Sean McKeel was born in Orlando. Huh. Um, Doc Rivers lives, I believe he lives in Winter Park uh, in, during the offseason. <laughs> Got a big oil reserve. <laughs> Uh, and then, of course, Matt Kuchar grew up in Winter Park. Oh, my gosh. What a thrill that would be to talk to him. The biggest thing that I found just researching, like, who who's from actually from Orlando, the number of professional wrestlers from Orlando was staggering. That doesn't surprise me. <laughs> <laughs> no, it doesn't. It seems like a very professional wrestling type of town. Yeah. So um, before we get to our guests, I mean, you know, you just spent a week in Orlando. Yeah. Um, I, I found it, you know, we were down by Lake Nona in a, in like a very new little development area. I don't know. Had some, had some apartments and restaurants. I, Orlando is just very, I straight up, I, I fucking hate it. Like there's no infrastructure. It just is, it strikes me as soulless. Uh, it's a great place for Disney World, right? Just like go there, go to Disney World and then get out. Is I will say how I feel. downtown. Pleasantly surprised by downtown. Super walkable. A bunch of people live downtown. Pernilla Lindbergh lives downtown. We talked yeah. to her. Yeah. She was She was like, I have to live downtown. I can't live out in the gated yeah. nether regions. Um, but yeah, that that's good to know. And I will say again, Winter Park is cool. Yeah. Um, I just, I just, I get, like, it makes my skin crawl when I drive down I-4 and there's- Horrendous traffic. Crazy traffic. There's yeah. crazy construction. There's crazy drivers. It's yeah. just a one big strip mall. 
Um, well, I see our, our guest. We did get somebody this week. I see him. Uh, it's it's a him in our in our waiting room here on Zoom. Should we should we get him oh in here? Gosh, I'd love to. <laughs> Before we do, well, he's he's waiting on the line. Before we get to him, I want to thank our other sponsor for today's episode. That was, of course, of course, our friends at DraftKings. TC this week is the Arnold Palmer, the Mister Palmer Invitational at Bay Hill. Uh, if if you have an itch to scratch in that field, go to DraftKings. Of course, the LPGA, they're playing in Ocala. They have some some fun lines and matchups around the LPGA. You told me you were going to weaponize your uh, LPGA <laughs> intel from the last few weeks. That's exactly right. Uh, looking to do that this week. I'm very bullish on Lexi Thompson, for the record. Some of the odds on the LPGA as far as top tens for some of the ladies farther down the board are insane. I was going to say, it's like a very distinctive like 8 to 10 players that are not great value, and then after that... It's a sweepstakes. It's a complete sweepstakes. So if you got a hunch or if you got any inside knowledge, beat up those LPGA odds. And of course, DraftKings always, you can find basketball, football. Uh, I know there's a UFC fight this weekend, 259. If you are into the UFC... Uh, there are three title fights taking place in one night. DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of USC, is putting you in the center of this weekend's title fight with 100 to 1 odds on either fighter to land a punch during the title fight. That seems like a preposterously good bet. Pick either main event fighter to land a punch during the weekend's UFC 259 bout, and DraftKings will give you 100 to 1 odds. Just bet $1 on either fighter to land a punch, and if that happens, you will cash $100. There's no better way to put your MMA knowledge to the test than to put your money where your mouth is with DraftKings Sportsbook. Right now, listeners can download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app and use the promo code NLU, NLU when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 if either main event fighter lands a punch on Saturday. Place your bet and watch the fists fly this weekend. That's code NLU to turn $1 into $100 if either fighter lands a punch. For a limited time, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. What about call? I, th- I thought there was a new one. I know they dropped Virginia sometimes on, sometimes <laughs> off. I think it might depend on maybe the action. I don't know. <laughs> Make uh, up your mind, Virginia. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll update that next week. <laughs> Without further ado, our guest this week, our Orlando expert on the line right now, none other than the man himself, Michael Flasky. Mike Flasky, uh, you guys know him as the. Uh, CEO of Diamond Resorts. He is also the founder and executive director of the Diamond Resorts Invitational and the Diamond Resorts Tournament of Champions. He lives in Orlando. Michael, uh, so, so happy to talk to you today. How are you doing? I'm doing awesome. And uh, it's an honor to be on you guys' podcast. I uh, have been big fans and enjoy your work. And uh, it's cool to be able to be here with you all. Well, let's just cut right to it, man. I, I gave I gave the Diamond Resorts Classic a lot of grief uh, on on Twitter and uh, on some of the stuff I was saying on the podcast. I, I want to give you a chance to fully get in my ass and give me a little bit of shit if you want to. Listen, I I thought that uh, what you all were saying 
had merit to it. Um, you know, I think that part of the uh, disconnect, I think, was understanding kind of the history of, uh, of the event, which which I hope <clears throat> we'll be able to talk about today. And I think your your listeners and subscribers will enjoy kind of learning where that came from and <clears throat> how this kind of organic, organically built to where it is today. But look, at the end of the day, they were fair points. And that's why I agreed to come on the show with you guys, because you guys are known to be tough but fair. And uh, that's all you can ask for. Well, I, we certainly appreciate it. TC, where where do we go from here? Where, where should we? Yeah, I felt like I was kind of watching <laughs> You know, two two heavyweights just sparring <laughs> in the ring there. So, uh, I I guess Mike, take take us back to the genesis of the Diamond Resorts um, tournament and kind of how it's grown over the years and 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 how that's led to the current structure. Yeah, well, <clears throat> originally, um, so so let's take a few steps back. So so I have a a baseball background, played in college, and you know was a scout. Uh, for the Montreal Expos, which now is the Washington Nationals, long before I got into the vacation business. And so I, I have a lot of buddies that I played baseball with that are in and around the game, and none of them really ever get to play in the Tahoe Celebrity event because it's in July and it's in the middle of their season. So <clears throat> we had this idea that, you know, there could be another kind of American century on the East Coast, and if we did it in January – there's very few places that the weather is as good as Orlando. And, you know, it wouldn't be too much to kind of have two celebrity events kind of spread out that way. And I knew that I could get a bunch of my buddies from baseball that would agree to come in and play. So that was kind of the original, like, wild idea. And Brian Gay, who uh, is a neighbor and friend of mine, is on the PGA Tour, and he wears the Diamond Resorts uh, logo on the front of his hat and has for, you know, probably eight or nine years now. Um, you know, Brian is one of those guys where he's at on the money list, doesn't get a ton of media attention. And I thought it could be a real cool way to put his name, around, you know, on an event. He could help us. We could help him. And we could kind of call it the Brian Gay Invitational. And that's how it started. And it was a weekend celebrity am. And it was designed to raise money for the local Florida Hospital for Children. And the first year we came out of the gate and raised about $500,000. We had an incredible field. The next year we raised about $800,000 and the field got better. And I got a call from one of the executives over at golf channel. And, you know, they said, Hey, have you ever thought about, you know, televising this event? And I said, no, I never really contemplated that. And they said, well, we own the American century and we would give you kind of the blueprint of, you know, the PL and how it works. And we would even introduce you to the tournament director, Mike Milthorpe. And if you would consider, you know, maybe televising this, we think there's a great opportunity here. So, I went back, I looked at it, I, I scrubbed it, I decided, you know what, I think this could be a real win and a good branding opportunity for Diamond. So year one, we came out, it was celebrities only, um, we put it on TV, it was on Golf Channel only, cable only for three days, and the ratings exceeded every LPGA Tour event except the majors and the Solheim Cup, and it exceeded every Champions Tour event. And so <clears throat> it caught people's attention. And, and I don't do this for a living, right? So I started getting phone calls. Uh, I, I first got a call from uh, the commissioner of the Champions Tour. 
Then I got a call from Mike Wan, and they all see the ratings, and they see their ratings, and they're like, hey, how do we marry this up with what we got, right? We'd like a version of Pebble Beach. <clears throat> and so originally, I did a deal. I did a two-year deal with the Champions Tour, but it was a challenge season event. And so, again, the TV ratings were great. But what I did was I negotiated a deal where I could have LPGA ladies because I thought it would make a cool storyline for TV, and I knew a few of them. So I invited Lexi and Brooke Henderson um, and Brittany uh, Linsicum, Brittany Lang, and we had four or five LPGA players competing from the same tees against the Champions Tour uh, players, and then we had our, you know, our celebrity division on the other side. And so, again, the ratings were off the chart. But the one thing I couldn't get was I couldn't get the golf media to cover it because it was basically a silly season Champions Tour event. So I went to the Champions Tour, you know, I, during that second year, and I said, look, how do we make this a regular season event? And they said, well, we have an agreement with Mitsubishi. They sponsor three or four events. And they have a contractual agreement to be our season opening event. And the only way we could do it is figure out how to put you in the schedule somewhere along the way later in the year. And then, of course, that took all the baseball guys out because they would be in spring training. So that was the pivotal point where I reached out to Mike Wan and said, hey, Mike, I said, uh, there's an opportunity for us to talk again, and I'd love to talk. And he said, let's do it. And I said, great. And so he said, what are your thoughts? And I said, well, my thoughts are I think we got good enough TV ratings here that this should be more than just a full field event. You don't have a winner's only event like the men do uh, out in Maui. Why don't we make this your tournament of champions? And it's an earned event, so it's a little more prestigious. That'll help me because the golf media will certainly cover it. Mm -hmm. And I said, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we still kind of got this celebrity element that we know is the magic for TV. And uh, he said, I love it. And we started working on the details. And uh, we created, you know, uh, what is today the Diamond Resorts Tournament of Champions. And we just finished the third year of a three-year contract. And we just extended another three years, both with the LPGA and with NBC. Um, the ratings are so good, you know, network TV loves it too. So there's a long-ass answer, but that's <laughs> the evolution. <laughs> well, no, that, that's good. That's, that's very, very good to know. You know, the more I talked and, and thought about it, I, I think this year's frustration probably just came down to, from my perspective, the format. I think it was great that you put the three leading uh, LPGA players together. And I think maybe some of my frustration was when it went to commercial-free broadcasts, it was essentially them and only three celebrities. And there just wasn't that much golf to show. And so you had to end up showing a lot of the celebrities competing, which, again, we don't have to relitigate all of it. I, I understand you know, a, a number of people do enjoy that. Uh, I, I think I was coming at it more from... You know, trying to be a bit vocal for the LPGA and and shining more of a light on on some of those players, but um, no, it's 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 a really good event. And I can tell you, talking to the players we know uh, that that have played in it, they they really really enjoy it. They love playing with the celebrities in person on the ground, uh, and and they've talked about you know how how well run the event is. So kudos to you, and um, I I thank you for. You know, laying out the the full timeline and and again 
being a good sport and taking some of my criticism. I I have learned uh, a lot through it as well. So I want you to know that. Well, I want you guys to know that, you know, <clears throat> we didn't get this event, you know, where it is today, you know, by burying our head in the sand like some traditional golf people do. I've been critical of the golf industry. I think they're too traditional. I, I don't think they think out of the box. And I'm happy to tell you that I took the constru- I took it constructively, you know, and I met with Beth, the producer over at uh, Golf Channel and NBC. I met with Mike Juan and I said, how do we make it better? Because look, the truth is I make the parents, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and so I sit down with the LPGA. I mean, they have input, but ultimately, you know, uh, you know, I, I sit there at the end of every day and you know, and I make the pairings and I always try to get input from the ladies who they want to play with and the celebrities, et cetera. And uh, in the past, what we had done was, was we had two LPGA players and one celebrity in the final group. And then we flip-flopped. Then we did two celebrities, one LPGA, and we kind of went back like that. And this year, John Smoltz, it was actually John's idea. John said, look, I think you should put the three leaders from the celebrities and from the LPGA in the last two groups so they can kind of look their competition in the eye coming down the stretch. And so I made that change, you know, based on that. But I'm, I'm happy to tell you what we're going to do next year. Um, we're going to do a couple of things next year based on the, the points that you all raised, which were good. Um, the final two groups will be LPGA players. So the final six players on the golf course, um, you know, in the final two groups will be 100% LPGA. And then we'll put the three leading celebrities back in the third from last group. And they'll finish up, you know, 30 minutes ahead of the LPGA. And we can have our little winner crowned and we can have the interview with them. And then the last 30 minutes of coverage will be all LPGA. And uh, so so we're going to do that. And the other thing we learned, too, is that, you know, we, we kind of play, you know, for TV, we play around with the golf course a little bit. And, and we have number 16 that we do as a drivable par four. And then we do 17 as a reachable par five and because 18 is a really hard hole. And we wanted a little drama leading up to 18. And so I think next year we're going to probably um, not play 16 as a drivable par four because what it does is we get backed up on that tee box and then we get backed up on the 17 tee box and in the fairway. And mm-hmm. we really only get to show four or five holes of golf where we should be showing the whole back nine if it, if, if it would flow a little better, right? Yeah. So anyway, uh, appreciate the candid feedback, and we took it to heart. That's awesome. I, I, I mean, I can't tell you how nice it is to hear somebody in your position that's open to feedback and willing to, to make changes and try new things. That's like you said, I wish so many more people in, in the world of golf would, would have that same attitude. I think also it takes it kind of full circle for you where your your goal, your objective was to get golf media and get the larger golf world to kind of pay attention. And, and it's it's a good problem to have where, you know, especially for the LPGA, where there's a there's a demand to watch the LPGA. There's there's a demand for them on on network TV and on golf channel and everything. So to see people upset that they that they weren't able to watch as much LPGA as they wanted is actually, it's a good problem. You know, it means that, that things are moving in the right direction. No, no question. And I love the LPGA. I mean, listen, I'm, I'm their biggest advocate. I mean, you know, as a CEO of a company, you know, that has accountability, you know, and, and look, I, I, we can talk about all the, 
other golf stuff you want. You know, I live here and have lived here and, you know, in, in Iowa and I know all the tour players that live in Orlando and I've been around them and I know exactly, you know, how their MO is in tournament week. And then you compare that to the LPGA ladies and, you know, they, they literally show up and they know every, you know, key executive of the title sponsor. They know who the key customers are. They show up at the, uh, you know, the pro-am party and they engage and they hang out. They're not 10 minutes until the draw's gone and out. I mean, it is a really, really well-run organization. And, and the engagement level, you know, coming from somebody from outside the industry, you know, I'm impressed by that. And, uh, you know, we, we all endeavor to try to help them get on the more of the same playing field you know, when it comes to the economics as the other tour. And, uh, you know, so, yeah, I'm all for the LPGA and helping. So. Oh, and, 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 you know, good on you for kind of putting your money where your mouth is as far as, you know, sponsoring a tournament and, and you know, especially the kind of the season ending or the, the uh, season, the, the uh, season opener and, you know, kind of an elevated event. Mike, I want to I want to go back. I, I want to talk about your story a little bit, if that's all right. Uh, and talk to me about Limestone College, how you got there, and uh, who you played under at Limestone College. Yeah. So, well, that's a, that, that's that's a that's that's an interesting time in my life that I that I really loved. Um, so, I'm from eastern part of North Carolina, uh, and you know, I was uh, you know uh, fortunate enough to. Uh, have had the opportunity to uh, really choose where I wanted to play baseball in, in college with the exception of one little problem. And that was, I didn't pay attention to the classroom the way I should at that point in my life. And so I had to go to a junior college and it was called Chowan junior college as a way to circumvent the SAT. And uh, I did, and I played there and I had a great uh, freshman year there and uh, Gaylord Perry um, had just retired from Major League Baseball at like 43 years old, and he rented the uh, the field that that we used at the junior college that I was at, and he he held a baseball camp there. And uh, they asked us during the off season if we wanted to help out at the camp, and and I said I'd love to. So I helped out at the camp got to know Gaylord and, and what we got as uh, you know, kind of a reward in addition to a few dollars was we got to take BP off of him at the end of the camp every day. And um, you know, I could hit a little bit back then and uh, he and I used to have a lot of fun and uh, we had a lot of competition and, and he knew how to throw it up and in just enough for me to cheat and get out in front and <laughs> make me look like I could drop bombs. And then when he wanted to get me out, he'd throw it low and away and I'd roll it over to the shortstop. But we, uh, we just got to know each other and, and we got to be friends from that. And uh, he called me up, you know, maybe, uh, you know, that summer and said he had taken the head coaching job uh, down at Limestone University, now college then. And I wanted to know if, if I wanted to come play center field for him. And uh, I said, well, coach, I said, this is the greatest call I've ever had. I said, I I'd love to come play center field for you. I said, but I'm not sure, you know, that I can get in school. I said, you know, I haven't necessarily done my part in the classroom. And he said, well, did I ask you if you wanted to come play center field or to ask you if you could get in school? <laughs> and so I said, uh, I understand. And he said, uh, I'm going to get you in that bat and what you do with it's up to you. And so that was a turning point in my life. Uh, I, uh, I went to limestone, played three years for, you know, for the hall of famer. Um, it was, it was really where I turned my life around and started taking, 
um, you know, school serious. And, and, and I realized that I had a, a gift from God that I just shouldn't waste. And, you know, I had three great years there playing under him. And, you know, and, and the coolest part of the whole thing is that we have remained lifelong friends. And he's 82 years old right now. And he still to this day uh, goes to Scottsdale for spring training. And in three days a week during spring training, he hosts Diamond Resorts members at our events of a lifetime. So I've been able to maybe give back to him a little bit and what he was kind enough to do for me at a key point in my life. That's really cool. Uh, the one question I got to ask, did he teach the pitching staff at Limestone? Did he teach the spitball there? No, 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 Big Randy. <laughs> it was a hard slider, man. That was a misconception. <laughs> You guys are uh, hey hey you guys I read somebody somebody in this crew from Ohio is it you in uh, a couple of us yeah I grew up in Cincinnati and then Solly uh, one of our partners grew up in Columbus and and Tron actually his family's from Ohio and we all went to school at Miami of Ohio I got you I got you well you know Gaylord played he won the Cy Young in Cleveland in 1972. And that's why I thought maybe you guys might be Indians fans. That's why I asked. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm big Reds fan here. I got it. Just the opposite. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and I want people to know, you know, you kind of glossed over your playing career. You were, you, you had a heck of a career. You were inducted into the Limestone Hall of Fame and uh, the Athletics Hall of Fame in 2009. So that's that's very cool. Thank you very much. It's a, it's an honor. And, you know, and I don't take that honor lightly. It's something that um, – I think there's only three baseball players, um, you know, in the history of, of the program, you know, to have been inducted. And I'm incredibly honored that they did that. I'm very proud of that school. It's a cool school. It's a small school, you know, like 3,000, you know, students on campus, but great athletic program. Gaffney, South Carolina, the, the, the yeah. home of the, uh, the fictional character, uh, President Underwood in House yeah. of Cards. Oh, right? that's right. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, and the and the peach on the side of uh, Interstate yeah. 85. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good call there. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. Um, well, all right. I, the next question we got to ask: how, How'd you get? How'd you become the vacation doctor? Well, well okay, hold on. Not we're skipping getting, over. So okay. You, so, how'd you become a scout for the expo? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Good, good. Good point there. Yeah. Well, the, you know, <laughs> the the candid answer is is that I wasn't good enough to play at the next level, but I loved the game enough that I wanted to stay involved, and and it was my way of of staying involved, and I thought that. Um, you know, I was going to be, you know, I thought I was going to ultimately stay in the game of baseball, you know, as a scout or a manager. And, you know, so that was kind of a career path. I went back to my hometown and I coached my high school uh, team for a couple of years and uh, actually won a state championship. It was one of the coolest things that I've ever done. Way more fun than playing, you know, helping others, you know. And uh, so, yeah, you know, I, I um you know, I thought that was going to be the career path, and I did it for three years. It was it was tremendous. You know, the kind of I tell people all the time. I you know the, the greatest gift Gaylord had. You know, he was um, he was a guy, and I know you all are athletes too, because I read a little bit a little bit of your background, so you'll get this. Gaylord was unconsciously competent, and 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 so he was not a guy that could teach you specifically fundamentally how he did things or how others did things. He was great at running the game, and he was great at recruiting, 
but he was the best I ever saw at knowing the personalities of all 25 people on the roster. And he knew what person he was going to have to take down the tunnel and put his arm around him when he was going to get on their ass. And he knew which one like me that he had to kick in the ass in front of the whole team. <laughs> and that, and, and that combined with, that experience as a professional baseball scout and having to project talent out three, four, five years in advance and learning about what makeup is in people and doing the background to know where you were going to invest your, you know, your, your uh, club's money and not waste it by doing the background to see what kind of makeup the person had. You know, those are two great skill sets that I use every day as a CEO. When you were scouting for the Expos, I'm just thinking that the timeline had to match up. I mean, so good. Yeah. Did did you see (laughs) so much young talent? You must have seen some of the like. Did you see a young Vladimir Guerrero or Pedro Martinez? Did yeah? Were you in on those guys? All the above. So Delano DeShields, Larry Walker. Dennis Martinez, those were the guys at the big league level, you know, and uh, that, that, you know, that farm system was just littered with talent. And, you know, yeah, Pedro, I mean, you name it, Vladimir, they were all there. And, and, and it was unbelievable how much talent they had. You know, they were kind of the, um, they were kind of the modern day uh, Tampa Rays, you know, they, they, they really never spent any money signing free agents. They had to let players go if they went out and had any success, you know, once they're control or, you know, once they lost control, you know, they never competed. So it was really all about scouting and player development. They were really good at it. Yeah, they should have won the World Series in 94. 94, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, so we go from can – we, can we go from baseball now yes. to <laughs> – talk to me about that transition into the business world and specifically into the, the timeshare and vacation industry. Yeah. Well, as I told you, you know, I was coaching, um, you know, baseball up in eastern North Carolina, and I was, you know, <clears throat> I was trying to figure out – you know, uh, what I was going to do long-term and, you know, financially, you know, I was scouting, I was coaching high school baseball, you know, I was working on a charter boat and I was cobbling together 30 or $40,000 a year, which by the way, in my hometown was pretty good. Um, and you know, I, I had a, a person come to me and say, you know, have you ever thought about getting into sales that, you know, with your background in baseball and playing for Gaylord and this sort of thing, I think that you could really do well in, in sales. And in particular, you know, uh, have you thought about timeshare? And I said, don't even know what it is. And uh, so I went up to Williamsburg, Virginia, and I uh, had the opportunity to uh, learn about the product and, and learn about, you know, everything associated. And I gave it a shot. I, I, I went up there and I, you know, and I started as a salesperson at Ground Zero. And, uh, you know, after a couple of years, had some good success. And they asked me if I would take a team. They kind of saw that coaching background. And, and they said, you know, we'd like you to kind of take a team. So I took a team of eight or ten people, and, and they did great. And then they asked me if I would, you know, take a training role for the, you know, for the site. And then I just kind of, you know, like that, chipped away at, with success and, you know, uh, was asked to continue to progress and until, um, you know, eventually I, I made it to a CEO role from a salesperson. And, uh, so I, I, I don't take it lightly. It's, uh, it's something there's very few of us. I mean, most, most people that, uh, you know, make it to the CEO role, you know, typically like you all, you know, come out of, you know, <clears throat> great institutions with, you know, great MBAs and, 
you know, a lot of people come out of the finance side of the business. And so, you know, to be able to have started the ground level and, and to be able to be where I am is a blessing that I don't take lightly. Mike, I'm a fellow, I'm, I'm a timeshare owner myself. I, I wanted to tell you that. I, uh, Good. <laughs> I tell was, me about it. Yeah. I, I, so I graduated college in 2007, right into essentially right into the, the Great Recession. And uh, I, I was fortunate to have a job. I, I went right into public accounting and auditing. And my family, I had grown up, we always went down to Hilton Head Island for uh, spring break, right? Growing yep. up. And I was down there like the summer or spring after graduating with my parents. And, you know, as you might imagine, when the economy really took a downturn, there were all kinds of uh, timeshare weeks available. And, uh, you know, it was the first time I was ever making any kind of money. I was like, oh, what if I just, you know, I'll, I'll buy a week down here. So I, I bought a I bought a week at, at Spice Bush at Sea Pines on Hilton Head Island. And I've been, yeah. an, I've been an, a, a happy owner ever since. So, yeah. Well, that's... That's, that's, that's great. You know, the, uh, you know, the, the industry in the early days, um, had some people that, you know, from a sales perspective were a little bit unethical and then maybe they sold the product for the wrong reasons and that sort of thing. And, and there were some unhappy people and they thought it was an investment like a home or something. And that's just not the case. It's an investment in your future vacations and, uh, and accommodations that if you had to go out and rent it, we would pay significantly more money for, and it forces people, you know, and in many cases, people that, you know, um, the places they may go vacation are nicer than the homes that they live in. And, and so it, it is just a great product that changes people's lives that hasn't always had a great reputation. Uh, but I am proud to say that, you know, we are the largest independently branded timeshare company in the world. And, you know, we kind of thought out of the box and we created this experiential model that has really changed the entire landscape, you know, of the industry and through concerts and, and, and sporting events. We do over 3000 of these unique special events where we'll take 12 or 15 couples that own with us while they're there using the product and they'll meet Gaylord Perry, uh, you know, in Scottsdale for the day at the San Francisco giant spring training game. And he'll take them down on the field for BP, get pictures with the players. And he goes up in the suite and watches nine innings with them, has lunch, answers questions. And then those people, you know, agree to come in for that experience you know, and sit down and get an update, you know, on their membership. And so it's just a win-win for everybody. It's, it's kind of marketing in the 21st century that millennials and people can get their arms around versus the traditional way that it maybe it happened with our grandparents. Diamond resorts wise, what, what are some areas that, uh, you know, you think are distinctive and, and you would uh, tell people to check out? Well, Cabo Azul, <clears throat> down in Cabo, and if you know Cabo, it's, it's actually in San Jose, but it's it's the nicest timeshare resort in the world, and that is bar none, not debatable. And it is one of, it is, you know, I, 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 maybe the nicest resort I've ever stayed in. So I think that one is at the top of the list. We're very, very well represented in the Hawaiian Islands. Uh, we are in Maui. Uh, we are in Kauai. Uh, we are in Honolulu, Oahu. Um, and we've got great stuff in Tahoe. We've got great stuff on the northern central coast of California, San Luis Bay. 
And then, you know, as you kind of start coming east, you know, we're, uh, we, we have Branson, Missouri. Uh, you know, we have Williamsburg, Virginia. We have Orlando, of course. But, you know, we could go on and on. I mean, we're, we're blessed to have uh, 437 resorts in 34 countries that our members are able to use. And we, and we own and manage 112 of those. Okay. All right. So, Mike, I come from the – I worked for Marriott for about a decade and uh, – like always had trouble wrapping my head around you, you've got Marriott and you got Marriott vacations. You've got, um, you know, like it seems like all these companies have, have their, um, you know, at least the, the uh, hotel companies have their timeshare operations like completely distinct. And they all seem to be based in Orlando. Like how and yep. why did that happen? I can tell you exactly why it happened. It's a, it's actually a great question. And I think one that the, you know, the listeners that have a business mind or an interest in business will appreciate. So they didn't start out distinct and separate. Mm -hmm. Now they've always been based in Orlando because Orlando is kind of, you know, the uh, vacation ownership capital of the world. And that's simply because it all kind of started here with Disney. Uh, But originally, you know, all of the hotel companies that you just named and specifically, you know, Marriott, Hilton, um, they had high, they all had their timeshare division as a part of their overall hotel company. And what happened, uh, you know, after, you know, in some cases or in and around the downturn, uh, some, in some cases, just before the downturn, the streets started buying into the logic from these large lodging companies that they were not owners of hotel assets that they were selling off. In fact, when I was at Starwood, they sold off hotels to generate cash. But in in effect, what they were was they were franchise companies that were asset light companies, you know, that were a a great place for equity investors to place their money because they were capital light. And then they had this timeshare company over there that kind of worked against that because you have to continuously go out and you have to build new resorts and you have to put capital in the ground. And the timeshare business used to be, not Diamond Resorts, but the the branded timeshare companies was very capital intense. And so as the CEOs were going out to the street and trying to market and sell their company as Asset Light, they had this cash cow over there that generated tons and tons of EBITDA for them that were kind of going against the grain on that capital light model. So what they all did was they all designed a strategy to spin off the timeshare companies and make them a pure play publicly traded company. But before they did that, they did like a 100 year licensing agreement with them, whereby, you know, they're paid 100 plus millions of dollars a year uh, from these companies, the timeshare companies in an effort to utilize their brand. So that's how the spin and why the spin happened. And, uh, and that's why the capital is in Orlando. How long have you been in Orlando? I've been in Orlando since 1997. Okay. So you've probably seen it change pretty, pretty drastically. I was going to say, we got to talk a little Orlando. <laughs> yeah. What I yeah. mean, I, outsider's perspective, obviously Walt Disney World, I think, is is what everybody associates first. Um, living in Jacksonville and driving to Orlando and through Orlando, I quickly learned about the horrendous traffic. And, and well, the 
construction on I four. Just endless construction. Yeah. What I mean, are we missing anything there, Mike, or is that about it? <laughs> no, we avoid we avoid I four at all costs. But no, Orlando. Listen, or, <clears throat> Orlando is a great. I mean, you're you guys primarily are a lot of golf in your podcasts are golf heavy. So you know, for your golf listeners, I mean, Orlando is a tremendous golf community and, and and partly because of the rich history of Mr. Palmer, you know, having been here for many, many years at, at you know, at Bay Hill. And of course, you know, when Mr. Lewis bought Isleworth from, you know, the Palmer group that originally developed it, you know, he skillfully, you know, got Tiger right out of college to, you know, to move into Isleworth and, and he really had a key marketing strategy around having PGA tour players, you know, be a part of Isleworth and, you know, see, so see, so kind of have that. And then, you know, off of that, you know, culture, if you will, you know, Orlando turned into a really cool golf hotbed. And so, you know, there's a lot of cool golf and, uh, and, and a lot of golf history. here. What are some of your favorite bars, restaurants, coffee shops? What, what I'm, I'm curious, you know, what are, what are a couple of places you like to frequent in and around Orlando? My favorite restaurant in Orlando is on top of the Four Seasons. It's called Kappa. It's uh, it's a, a Spanish style steakhouse. They do a tremendous job over there. They they also have a great uh, Italian restaurant called Ravello that uh, that is awesome. And those both you know are kind of going to be on the on the upper scale. Um, a place that I like to go and just kick it and have a few beers and roll my sleeves up and roll in in a t-shirt is Lee and Rick's Oyster Bar. It's been there since the mid fifties. You can roll in there, belly up to the bar, and they'll shuck buckets of oysters for you. And, you know, look, we're blessed in Orlando, you know, with a ton of great restaurants, second to, in a normal time, in a non-COVID world, you know, second to Las Vegas, Orlando has the second uh, largest uh, convention destination uh, in the country. And so, you know, nearly 100 million people a year come here in normal times. So because of that, right on the what they call kind of restaurant row on Sand Lake, you really have everything within about a two mile shot that you would get in any major, any major metropolitan city. Yeah. This was the first year we didn't go to the, the PGA big, show. The big PGA show. While. Yeah. Oh man. What a circus that is. <laughs> so I think we're all right. Orlando, we always talk airport, um, Orlando airport. Very, very interesting to me because it's got the four, you know, kind of the four terminals and then you've got the central kind of land side. Part, and then you take the tram out to all the terminals. Yeah, they make you yeah. take the tram. Yeah, yeah, know it too well. Have nightmares. <laughs> uh, I was gonna say, do you like Orlando Airport? Because it, like sometimes living here in Jacks, it's either you know connect in Atlanta or um, Charlotte or or Dallas or Houston, uh, yeah. or drive to Orlando and you can get a, you can hop on a flight over to Europe or you know. Uh, really, really yeah. even farther. So it's, you know, some I've tried that once before, but it's always, you know, I feel like I always have to kind of climb over a bunch of tourists and everything to do it. So what's your take on Orlando Airport? So here's here's Orlando Airport in a nutshell from my perspective. I think that for international travel in particular, you know, to the UK, um, I think it's it's simple. It's easy. It's, you know, it's so much easier than New York, Atlantic. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's great. Um, I think for domestic travel, it's, it's not as good as people think. I mean, you, you really don't get on the main major carriers 
you know, like the United, the Americans, the Deltas, you don't get a lot of direct flights. Now, you know, with the more budget carriers like Southwest and that sort of thing, you can get some direct flights, but you, you have to, you still have to go through Atlanta. You have to go through Salt Lake. You know, you got to go through Denver. You got to go through Houston. So, you know, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm, I'm mixed on it. I mean, uh, I don't think it's uh, anywhere near, you know, as convenient as being in an LA or being in a Dallas or being in an Atlanta where you literally can get a direct anywhere without ever having to connect. But, you know, you do get quite a bit of optionality because it's so busy with, you know, the number of people coming in here. Are you a UCF <laughs> fan? Not, no, I, I grew up in North Carolina, as I said earlier, and, you know, I've, I've always kind of been an East Carolina fan, which, uh-huh. which actually uh, competes against UCF. But okay. I have absolutely come to appreciate, and I definitely pull, other than when they play East Carolina, I, I do pull for UCF. I mean, I, it's a pretty cool story, you know, how they rose out of really nothing to become, you know, it, you know probably not what they represent themselves, but certainly a damn good solid football program 2017 national champions right <laughs> yeah right Imagine. no thanks i'm not buying gus malzahn now too. they just got yeah. they, they just sent their coach over to tennessee you know and uh i i was looking up you know somebody asked me the other day uh what i thought about you know Eiple going over to tennessee and I said, man, that place has been snake bit. I don't know if I would have made that move. I guess he got enough guaranteed money and an increase in pay. And, you know, he went with the athletic director that it was worth his while. But, man, if you look, in my humble opinion, maybe the worst firing in college football history was when Tennessee fired Philip Fulmer. I mean, Philip Fulmer, you know, he was like, you know, seven and two, nine and two, you know, eight and three, every year he was stuck behind Spurrier in the East when Florida had those great years. And he could never, you know, he could never get into the BCS championship. He was always in Orlando in the Citrus Bowl and Spurrier used to pick on him, but Heupel is the seventh coach they've hired since they fired Philip Fulmer. And I, I would imagine old Rocky Top be pretty happy with a little nine and two about right now. Absolutely. <laughs> yes, yeah. They would. yeah, he was a victim of his own success. I was going right? to say, classic case of, yeah, truly a victim of his own success. <laughs> I uh, didn't realize UCF has their own stadium, the Bounce House. Yeah. <laughs> I, I yeah. didn't realize that. Uh, Mike, what, where do you do your grocery shopping? That's another hot topic here on the Trap Draw. Yeah, you know, Publix. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a it's a staple in Florida, you know, and I actually think they do a very nice job. Um, I, I go to the fresh market occasionally, you know, if I if I'm gonna do if I'm gonna grill out and I want a special cut or something, I'll go to the fresh market. But but all in all, day in day out, I think Publix is as fine as anything around. Thank you. I'm a I'm a massive proponent of Publix. <laughs> I know they're headquartered right down the road in Lakeland. Uh, yeah, I, I, I find Fresh Market, they got a really good meat case, even better than, than uh, Whole Foods, I think. Agreed. So, Agreed. Plus, uh, uh, the, plus the private equity company uh, that, that owns Diamond Resorts owns Fresh Market, so I have to give them a plug to be a team player. <laughs> there you go. There you go. The high-speed rail that they're building between uh, Fort Lauderdale, Palm Beach, Miami, and then they're extending it to Orlando. Does that seem like a pipe dream? Or is that just, you know, or does that seem like a, a smart investment? And, and, and it's a private company doing it too, right? 
It is. Yeah. I, I mean, look, I mean, I, I'm all for, you know, ease of transportation, moving people. And, you know, if, if somebody can make a go of it, you know, uh, in a constructive fashion and they can stay in business, you know, God bless them. I think, you know, it, it's great. Personally, I think it's going to be difficult. I, uh, I'm trying to understand, I guess, you know, they will definitely get some of that hundred million people coming to Orlando to get on that and go down to South Florida and they'll probably get, you know, a boost that way. And I'm sure somebody has done the study and the demographic and pro- probably some of the international travel, the Brazilians in particular, who come into Miami first, maybe they utilize it to come up here. So I don't know. I mean, so you got to believe somebody's done the, the legwork and looked at it. I, I'm not close enough to it, but I'm all for it. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Uh, what's it like playing golf with Brian Gay? He's like, I, I, I view him as like one of the best, like truly one of the best golfers in the world because he's at such a massive distance disadvantage to where he's got to be so much better with his irons and his putting than everybody else to kind of make up for that. It's such a cool, it's a, it's such a cool question. Uh, BG's, you know, he's, he actually doesn't play a lot of golf when he's at home, you know, through the years, you know, you, you know, you get to know the guys and um, cause many of them, you know, live and play out of Isleworth and I get to play with them. And, you know, so, you know, he kind of fits in the Charles Howell bucket of guys that prefer to spend most of their time on the range hit balls um tiger was kind of a hybrid you know he would uh, do his work on the range in the morning and he would play nine holes pretty much every afternoon bubba never hit balls all he wanted to do was play jb holmes all he wanted to do was play didn't want to hit balls so bg falls in that in that category of really not playing on the course much but he's a he's a tremendous tremendous player when you think about it he's 165 pounds soaking wet um, just turned 49, I believe. Um, you know, he's a year away from the Champions Tour, just one for the fifth time. And then you put all that in the salad bowl and you say every week when this guy goes out on tour, depending on what way the wind is blowing, there's going to be two par fours out of 18 holes where he's got to hit a career shot with a rescue or he's actually taking a three-wood in some cases in Ultimately, if he misses, trying to miss on the wide side and having to get up and down, uh, and he's competing at this level, carrying the ball, you know, all he's carrying it further than people think. He was carrying it about 265, and I think he's got it up now, you know, closer to, you know, high 270s. But it's incredible what this guy's able to do, you know, pitching and, and, and putting. Talk to us about the uh, the vacation doctor, the, the MF line. I'm really curious about your clothing line. <laughs> Well, that was an idea that came about a couple of years ago out of the company. Uh, our head of sales and marketing and our head of creative came to me with this idea. And we've got 11,500 team members across the globe. And one of the great things about our company that I'm really, really proud of is giving back is at the heart or the core, you know, of our brand tenants. And through our golf tournament, which I, I told you a little bit earlier, but I mean, we've raised uh, over $4 million and given back to the local community from this event in really just five or six short years. And they came to me with this idea. They wanted to start to transition some of our fundraising over to the Diamond Resorts Foundation because we have so many team members. You know, it's it's really like, honestly, uh, I tell people sometimes 
I said, you know, I'm almost like the pastor of a large church. I mean, you know, I, there are so many great things about my job, but there's so many sad things about my job. When you have that many people, somebody's got a terminal illness, somebody's getting in a wreck, somebody's homeless. I mean, it's just crazy, you know, the things we see. And so we didn't think that, you know, we had enough credibility to take all of our fundraising initially and shift it over to the Diamond Resorts Foundation. We thought we needed a transitional step. And so their idea was, let's create a logo for you and let's, you know, let's, let's call it the Vacation Doctor, which was my Twitter handle, which <laughs> I, I love created. It. Yeah, which I just kind of created myself, you know, when I decided to try Twitter. <laughs> and, uh, and, and they designed this logo and they came to me with it and they said, you know, we want to sell this at the golf tournament. We want to sell this online, you know, at diamondgolf.com throughout the year. And we want to give every penny back, you know, to our foundation. And I said, hell no. I said, I'm not walking around with a freaking logo <laughs> of myself, you know, and I, and, I, and I sent them away. And they came back like three times and said, can we try it at the golf tournament? last uh yeah last year and we tried it at the golf tournament last year and it raised right at four hundred thousand dollars you know for our foundation and people got behind it and uh it's edgy you know it's got my logo the mf logo in there and the kids buy it and don't give a damn about the vacation art. they just think it's cool because <laughs> it says mf <laughs> and so and so we sell it. We sell the hell out of it. And we give every single penny uh, back, you know, to our team members in need and our relief fund. And, uh, and and Lord knows we didn't see COVID coming. Nobody did. And, you know, and so, you know, we allocated the bigger part of that $400,000 out to COVID, you know, related victims. And I say victims, I mean, people, families that were out of work and in need and, you know, because of COVID. So it's been a really, really cool thing. Tron, I got two more questions. Do you before I get to those? Do you have any that want to be sensitive to your time here, Mike? Yeah, I got so uh, toll roads. Every time I roll through Orlando, I feel like I they just they're just reaching in my pocket. Like I was I was coming back from Streamsong yesterday, and I, I think I spent eight dollars on toll roads because I had to drop one of our colleagues off at the airport. So coming up from Polk County up to Jacksonville, spent eight bucks on toll roads. Toll roads, love them or loathe them, and do you think it's a good thing that? You know, it's kind of alleviating the traffic in Orlando that they have them or should it just be all, you know, all government uh, funded? Hey, Tron, you got to avoid I-4 somehow, man. There's yeah. a price to pay. <laughs> your time is, I, uh, your time I is mean, valuable, right? I, I mean, from my perspective, I'm, I'm, I have no issue with it. Um, I think that, um, you know, it is certainly unfair to some people that financially maybe don't have the flexibility to do that. Um, but it is an option uh, that I am thankful for because literally if you had to travel I-4, you already said it. It's just no good. No good. And then second question I got for you, the uh, La Machina, Julio Bell. I know he plays out at uh, the Four Seasons. Four seasons. <laughs> I think he's played in your tournament before. <laughs> Always fascinated by him, especially when he had, when he had that uh, – the corn fairy start. Corn fairy start, yeah, <laughs> down in Columbia a couple of years ago. He is a cool guy and a trip. Uh, he has supported our event uh, every year. Um, one of the things that we do at our tournament that not many people know about is I have 10 amateurs 
that can qualify. When I started this thing, you know, I kind of wanted the celebrity tournament. I wanted the pro tournament, but I wanted amateur golf too. And so what I did was I kind of thought about how the amateurs could make the cut and play the weekend at Pebble Beach. And I said, how can I incorporate it? So what we do when we sell our pro-am teams, um, we take the five load net and the five load gross from the pro-am day scores and we allow them to qualify to go play all four days on TV with the celebrities and the LPGA players. Obviously, they don't get on TV. They go off a 10 and that. But it's a huge, huge draw for our Pro-Am, and the price points we get out of our Pro-Am are four times higher than what the LPGA normally gets because people want to try to qualify to play. Mm -hmm. And so he came to me and said, um, I try to qualify the last few years. I can't qualify how much money to buy my way through. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, there is a donation that you could make to charity <laughs> that could probably get you through. And, uh, and, and, and so Julio is, is very, very gracious and very kind. And, and he donates a lot of money every year uh, by buying a pro-am team that allows him to get to play through and, and, and play all four days. <laughs> I saw his commercial a couple of years ago too. That's he had, right. He had the That's commercial right. on the telecast. He's a, he's an Elvis impersonator. Did y'all know that? <laughs> no. No. Oh yeah, yeah. He's a he is the uh, Mexican version of Elvis. He's got the chops. He's got the outfit. Uh, he's going to start doing events of a lifetime for us. <laughs> oh my gosh, we got to get Tron on. We got to yeah. get Tron to one of those. He fascinates me. <laughs> he's fascinating for sure. He's actually a sweet guy though. He's very kind and very generous. Love it. All right, my, my final two questions, they, they kind of go together, Mike. Uh, I want to know, how's Little Flask, and can you guys do some more Twitter videos, please? <laughs> yeah, he, uh, he's doing fine. He's, um, you know, it's funny you ask that question. He's a, you know, he's a great high school football player and uh, not good enough to play power five football, but good enough to play mid-major or, you know, really wherever he wants, you know, beyond that. He, he He's a good kid. He works hard. Uh, but, you know, he's got a girlfriend now. And, uh, you know, now, you know, he doesn't know if he wants to make that commitment, you know, that it takes to play at the next level. So he's going to uh, – he's coming over for dinner tonight, and uh, we're going to have a little conversation about just that. But he's doing great. He's uh, – Finishing up his junior year, unlike me, he has, he has great grades. And uh, so, you know, I'm very, very proud of him, uh, you know, for the great the great work that he does in school. And uh, he's just a hell of a football player, man. I appreciate you asking about Little Flask. What, what position? He plays defensive end. And uh, he, he plays at the first academy here in, uh, <clears throat> in Orlando. And uh, he, he, has, he has been on the varsity team since he was an eighth grader. Wow. And uh, and has started since he was a freshman. So uh, the kid can play. He's tough. Take take him take him up to uh, Miami of Ohio. Take him up there you for know, a visit. I, you know Cincinnati, Marshall. You know they're all in. You know that's that's really kind of the ceiling. I think. You know he's kind of you know six two and a half two forty. You know to go to really play like in that power five. They want a guy coming off the end the six four, and he's more a you know, four, seven, five, four, eight guy that's very quick off the ball, but you know, he's a tick below what it takes to do that. So All sure. right. I mean, uh, East Carolina too. East yeah, well, Carolina. True. true. Yeah. Of you know, course. I told him he should, I told him he should go 
you know, figure out how to play at UCF. That way he can make his girlfriend happy too. Stay <laughs> home. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. There you go. I'm still, you know what? I'm still mad at, uh, at uh, East Carolina for, they did rough and McNeil dirty a few years back. Oh, rough, rough is awesome. Yeah. You know, listen, East, East Carolina, you know, I mean, sadly, you know, I've, I've followed them forever. And then, and look, UCF is the same way. UCF has just been a little bit more polished version of it. But, I mean, you know, they've been through so many great coaches, but they always get that up-and-coming person that is never going to stay there if they have any little bit of success. But in the case of Ruffin, I loved Ruffin too. And, and the players loved Ruffin. And, you know, I agree. You know, I think Ruffin's a guy that would have stayed there because I think he was at his ceiling. Yeah, yeah. No, and he was an alum too, right? Correct. Yeah. All right. Well, Mike, this was such an enjoyable chat. Uh, I thank you so much for your flexibility. We were trying to do this a couple weeks ago, and uh, our our logistics kind of got screwed up. So uh, appreciate you uh, rescheduling and, and giving us time today. Oh, you're welcome. And when I see Little Flash tonight, I'm going to tell him that the boys from No Laying Up and the Trap Draw podcast have requested a Twitter video, and I'll tag you guys. Love oh it. my Love god! It. The the one on top. You guys are on top of some building. Is <laughs> at the Four Seasons? It, it has to be at the Four Seasons. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It it is so good. Yeah. More. Yeah. It's like it's like high energy. It puts me in a good mood. I know. I know. It's it's a pick me up. So I I appreciate you guys commenting on that. He'll love hearing the podcast and know you asked about it. Hey guys, I appreciate you having me and. Uh, if I can ever do anything for you guys, don't hesitate to reach out. Sounds good, Mike. Thanks, awesome. Man. Thank you, Mike. Have a good one. All right. Bye now. Favorite trapper, the absolute truth, yeah, no joke. Who